The following contest is scheduled for one fall. Please welcome Mr. Fritz. What's going on, peeps? Welcome to episode 54 of the Fretzelmania podcast. Today, I'm reviewing Starcade 1983, the very first Starcade event in NWA slash WCW history. A dog collar match for the US title between Greg the Hammer Valentine and Rowdy Roddy Piper. A tag team title match between the Briscoe Bros, not Jay and Mark, but Jerry and Jack going up against Jay Youngblood and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and of course the main event inside of a solid steel cage for the World's Heavyweight Championship, Harley Race, defending against the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. That's right, it's a flair for the gold, it's Starcade 1983, and it starts right now. What is up, peeps? Mr. Fretz here, Wrestle Addict Radio historian, to go over one of the most historic events in wrestling history. And that is the very first Starcade from November 24th, 1983 in the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, South Carolina in front of a sold-out attendance of 15,447 fans drawing a $500,000 gate. This was broadcasted on closed-circuit television. This was a little bit before pay-per-view was a thing but Starcade would go on to be the flagship show for the NWA slash WCW until 2000. I'm going to give you a little bit of a glimpse into the world during this time. Uh, this was five months before I was born so of course I don't have any recollection of this but what I am going to have recollection of are the popular cartoons of 1983, and that include Alvin and the Chipmunks, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Inspector Gadget. Uh, fun fact, I was neighbors with a voice actor on Inspector Gadget, that being the voice of Chief Quimby himself, Dan Hennessy, and so much more, including Saturday Supercade, the number one movie in November 1983 was A Christmas Story. Oh, how appropriate as we are approaching the Christmas season. I might just have to watch good old Ralphie in this movie. I haven't watched this movie in a long, long time. Big movies also include The Big Chill and Terms of Endearment. The number one songs of the time were Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler and All Night Long by Lionel Richie, uh, back when music didn't totally suck ass. Good times. Now this show has a bit more of a different style than I'm used to watching and reviewing, as this is a little bit more meat and potatoes, a little bit less flashy, a little bit more technical, if you will. So my notes probably won't be as good as they are for, say, something from the Attitude Era, or the Ruthless Aggression Era, 
or from AEW. But calling the action tonight are two legends in wrestling, in commentary, and that being Gordon Soley and Bob Cottle, both of which I don't think are with us anymore, but Gordon Soley for... Maybe older people, maybe namely down south. I, I can think of maybe people like Mance. Uh, Gordon Soley is the voice of a generation, was the voice of a childhood. I didn't have WCW available to me until about 96 when my family finally got basic cable and I watched WCW Saturday night every week. And that was good timing as that was during the formation of the New World Order. Kicking off this event was no video package, no logo, no hype packages, no interviews. We are thrown right into a tag team match between the Masked Assassins and Rufus R. Jones and Bugsy McGraw. The Assassins are a longtime tag team of course, uh, originally portrayed by Jody Hamilton and, and Tom Ernesto. But Ernesto retired from wrestling in the 70s, so Masked Assassin number two is Hercules Hernandez. And Jones and McGraw started out with uh, control over the Assassins until number one, got an eye rake on Jones, and after repeated attacks by number two, Jones fought back with a headbutt, Bugsy McGraw tagged in and attacked both of them. Uh, Bugsy here was getting mega pops. He's the mid-Atlantic mid champion, so of course that title is not on the line tonight. He's doing some kind of whirling dervish spinny gimmick. Rufus here is really sp starting to hulk up here, brother, brother, but but he's not. And as McCraw was slamming number two, Number one, rolled him up from behind. The deadliest move in the history of pro wrestling. A surprise roll-up to win the first match. Decent opening tag team match here. The Assassins getting all the heel heat. And that was that. Tony Schiavone is backstage saying that he's going to be in the locker room between some matches. You can see Piper, Steamer, and Flair in the background here. The second match... Saw the future Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin with Gary Hart as their manager going up against Scott McGee and Johnny Weaver. McGee and me, and I think only Mance is going to get that reference. Mance, how you doing, brother? If you got that one, give me a shout out and I'll pay for your therapy for bringing McGee and me back into your mind. This match here, it started back and forth as well until Sullivan and Lewin gained the advantage over McGee by targeting his left arm. McGee and Weaver fought back when Weaver performed a bulldog on Sullivan, sending his face into the canvas. Weaver attempted another bulldog, but Sullivan pushed him to the corner. Mark Lewin then performed a knee drop from the top turnbuckle onto Weaver's left arm, and Hart and Sullivan held on to him on the ropes here that led to the win here mark lewin and kevin sullivan get the win after the match lewin and sullivan continue to beat the absolute snot out of mcgee lacerated his forehead with a foreign object object until king kong angelo mosca canadian football legend canadian wrestling icon who we 
just lost last month, R.I.P. Angelo Mosca, came out to help McGee, but he was also attacked. And then he carried McGee to the back like he was a baby. Angelo Mosca. Now, there's a name that your grandparents will know. Uh, we just lost Mosca a couple of weeks ago at the age of 84, uh, having spent a good chunk of his life in nearby Hamilton, Ontario. He was a member of the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Ottawa Red Blacks, or the Ottawa Rough Riders, as they were then known as, the Montreal Alouettes, before ending his career with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. He dabbled into football, and then he dabbled into professional wrestling as well, brought into the industry by promoter Eddie Quinn in Montreal. He was usually always a heel until the 70s, where he finally became a babyface. He had a brief stint in the WWE, although at that point in time he was a heel to Bob Backlund's championship, he always was a face in Canada. Much like when the Quebecers wrestled matches in in Quebec. You know, Mosca also had a feud with Pat Patterson. Mosca did a little bit of, of commentary during WWF TV tapings from Ontario, Canada. And then he went through the NWA. And during some compilations of NWA cards in Hamilton, Ontario, where he uh, he spent the rest of his life, he did a NWA card called Moscomania, which drew an excellent 12,000 fans. He had a son named Angelo Mosca Jr. who had a very brief yet unsuccessful wrestling career. Moscow was a guy that lived in and around the Hamilton area for many years, including St. Catharines, Ontario. He's got a book out. You might know him from, like, say, I know Stephen A. Smith may have done a bit on this on, on a sports talk show way back in the day, but in 2011, there was a alumni thing at a CFL thing with uh, Angelo Mosca, who got into a fight with former... BC Lions quarterback Joe Cap at an alumni luncheon and it was just uh, a funny video that went viral including on ESPN's Monday Night Football and Fox TV's The O'Reilly Factor. So if you know him from that, that's Angelo Mosca. And in Canada, we know him as King Kong. We love him. Uh, R.I.P. Angelo Mosca. Just a absolute icon backstage Shivani interviews harley race who is sitting around with greg valentine the briscoes some of the other heels in the company and harley here is an underrated promo in my eyes he is silent he is smart he is to the point and concise and he says that you know he has insight on rick flair thanks to these to these people and by his friends and he is talking about uh rick flair's shortcomings like i know of them and i'm going to exploit them tonight in our cage match just underrated and it was intimidating in a way because harley race was 
one tough son of a bitch. And if you heard any interviews from back in the day, you know. This next match here is a weird one. It's Abdullah the Butcher and Carlos Colon. You know, the guy that covered for Bruiser Brody's murder in the 80s in Puerto Rico. Uh, the father of Carlito and the Shining Stars. <laughs> or I almost called them the... What was their bullfighter name? And they had that little El Torito guy. <laughs> yeah, the Cologne. The, the patriarch of the Cologne family here. This is a feud that dates back to the 70s in the, the World Wrestling Council in Puerto Rico. And they had a showcase match here. Abdullah was dominating Carlos with the weapon that he always conceals in his hand, the little piece of wood. Cologne then fought back with punches and used Abdullah's we weapon back on him. Abdullah knocked down the referee and Cologne applied the figure four leg lock thinking that we were going to get a tap-out win here. But of all people to interfere in this match is future WWE Spanish commentator Hugo Savinovich hit the ring, hit Cologne with a foreign object, allowing Abdullah the Butcher to pin Cologne and win this match. Hugo Savinovich with a mullet. That was just a sight to see. And this was... Just another match to get the crowd going. Uh, the crowd was really popping for Carlos Colon here. Abdullah the Butcher is a long time just deadly heel in wrestling. I think we recently lost him a little uh, a little while ago. No, wait. No, he is still alive. And he's Canadian. Yeah. He was interv interv gosh. introduced as being from... Sudan, but he's from Windsor, Ontario, Canada, and I stand corrected, he is still alive today at the age of 80, residing in Atlanta. So there's your history uh, quote for the day. There's your pop quiz for the day. Where is Abdullah the Butcher really from Windsor, Ontario, Canada, also the hometown of P.D. Williams? Shafani is interviewing Angela Mosca here. Uh, Moscow was, of course, just banged up following the Kevin Sullivan-Mark Lewin tag team match. They were working over his arm with the foreign object as well because Moscow is scheduled to be a special guest referee during the tag team championship match later in the show. Moscow scolds Lewin, and he's saying that he would ref the tag, tag title match tonight if he only had one arm. McGee is there just flumped on the on the bench gacked bleeding like crazy looking dead and he talks about rick flair having attitude and aptitude we see barb cleary uh, a female reporter here interviewing these two two young ladies with the absolute best 80s hairdos out outside of a giant poofy perm both picking Ric Flair here. I imagine they had a bit of a crush on Ric Flair. Next up here, another tag team match between Chief Wahoo McDaniel and Mark Youngblood going up against Dirty Dick Slater and Bob Orton Jr. Minus the cast. The girls here are going wild 
for Mark Youngblood. There is a special guest at ringside before this match. It's Malf Malfunctioning Microphone Dusty. He couldn't make out anything that was going on here. Youngblood here is playing the babyface in peril. Wahoo is getting the hot tag, doing the war dances, doing all the chops. Uh, Dick and Bob here looked great as a tag team, and they were looking great in the ring here. Just absolutely smooth wrestling. Dirty Dick Slater does a excellently executed leg sweep, according to Gordon Soley here. Classic Randy Orton backbreaker. If you've seen it, you've seen it, you know what I mean. Bob Orton goes for an elbow and misses. That might be why he was wearing a cast for 72 years. Youngblood chases Orton around the ring, does a hip toss, gets a massive pop. They do a crisscross bit. Orton with a backbreaker. Dick and Bob are quick tagging here to get the advantage and wearing down Youngblood until finally we get the hot tag to Chief Wahoo McDaniel going to Chop City, Atomic Drop, War Dance, Scoop Slam, the whole bit. Eventually we break out into a teeny bit of a schmoz here, but back in the ring, Mark Youngblood tags back in. Bob Orton gets the second rope superplex on him and wins this match afterwards. Wahoo gets his heat back and beats up the heels. There's a lot of getting your heat back post-matches here on this show. Dusty is once again interviewed at ringside and has a lot of mic problems, and we couldn't make out just a single thing he was saying. Next up for the television title, The Great Kabuki with Gary Hart defending against the man from downtown, Charlie Brown, no not that one. That would be Jimmy Valiant under a mask as Jimmy Valiant was forced to leave the NWA after losing a Loser Leafs Town match to the Great Kabuki some months earlier. So this was Valiant's way to get back at Gary Hart and Kabuki. We start off with a schmoz and a chase. A steel chair gets involved. The ring post gets involved. Classic old school wrestling tropes, of course. Charlie Brown had a sleeper hold on forever until the great Kabuki got the Baron Von Raschke special, the claw, squeezing Brown's skull for seemingly an eternity again. This continued until Kabuki missed a running kick in the corner and Charlie Brown became the new television champion. Thanks to a bionic elbow, and Gary Hart is pissed in the middle of the ring. Coddle and Soli then break down the rest of the card and talk about the other matches coming up, as we have a dog collar match, a tag team titles match, and the 10 pounds of gold in a salad steel cage to go. Shavante then interviews world champion Harley Race, who talks about the bounty that he put on Ric Flair. At Bob Orton and Dirty Dick Slater attacked Flair in August prior to this event, appearing to inflict a career-ending injury on Flair. He announced his retirement, but returned shortly after. One of many, many fake retirements we would see from the Nature Boy over the years. 
Dusty Rhodes and Barb Cleary have a chat backstage to not mic problems. So they finally found a working mic for Dusty. Dusty here talks about the main event. You seem to think he might want a piece of the champion following this match, but he picks Harley Race to win this. Next up here is my favorite match of the night. I'm going to say say it right now. It is a United States Championship match. A dog collar match between champion Greg the Hammer Valentine and Rowdy Roddy Piper. This is about a year and a bit before Piper would go to the WWE and main event, the first WrestleMania. There's a lot of former talent from both sides on this show. And I stand corrected on the bionic elbow comment because the term bionic elbow was coined for Greg Valentine and not Jimmy Valiant on this show. Hmm. And we just heard from Dusty. I wonder if I'm going to draw a parallel here. I don't know. This is a great back and forth match here as both guys are using the chain to gain the advantage. This was another great back and forth match at the start with Valentine targeting Roddy's injured left ear. Piper gained the advantage with the use of this chain, the use of the chain himself. Valentine fought back and started choking Piper with the chain and then still target his left ear, causing Piper to have a little bit of a balance problem. Valentine just keeps smashing the ear. He does an elbow drop. Piper then gets the chain and just whacks Valentine with it and wraps the chain around his legs for the pin and wins the U.S. title. Valentine then gets his heat back after the match again and chokes Piper with the collar, beating the crap out of him. And this feud is not over. Backstage, Tony interviews a quiet, respectable babyface flair. Where is the nature boy? Where is the limousine riding? Jet flying? Yeah, he's not here. This is just boring babyface Rick. At ringside here, Don Kernoodle, who was a tag team partner with Sergeant Slaughter, is interviewed. He's picking Ric Flair to win the world championship. So they're hyping the crap out of this match. This match is huge for NWA. So they are they're milking it for all it's worth. For the NWA Tag Team Championship, the Briscoe brothers, Jack and Jerry, going up against Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. This match was just wild. Jack and Jerry Briscoe are two of the best technical wrestlers out there, both with an amateur background. Angelo Mosca, the special guest referee here, Hamilton, Ontario's own. Jerry here, they're saying he is known for the Oklahoma side roll, and Jack for the scientific version of the Fireman's Carry takeover here. We get a great double underhook suplex by Jack Briscoe on 
on Ricky Steamboat. Steamboat here does a great leapfrog. He teases the chop, but the Briscoes evade it. Steamer goes for the chop, top rope chop here. Jack and Mosca have an argument here. Jack shoves Angelo Mosca, and Mosca says, uh, sod off, I'm shoving you back. Eventually, the baby faces here gain the advantage and do an assisted splash where a ste or a Steamer would run the rope. No, Youngblood would run the ropes. Steamer would press him onto the Briscoe to win the tag team titles. And again, the Briscoes attack after the bell after they've lost the titles. They, they try to run down Youngblood, Steamboat, and Mosca, but the baby faces here fought back. Angelo Mosca taking these young whippersnappers under his wing, and rightfully so. Eventually here, the baby faces gain their advantage back. And now, the main event. For the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in a solid steel cage, the Nature Boy Ric Flair challenging the seven-time world champion Harley Race. This is that classic blue robe entrance that you've seen before. The very same entrance that Charlotte Flair herself has portrayed. We see, no, we hear that legendary theme, Dawn, taking from also Sprach Zarathustra, that great piece of classical music here. I believe by Richard Strauss, but yeah, this match, this bit here with these two, this is something that you've seen drawn parallels in. In modern wrestling and not only by people related to the flair family most recently i drew a parallel from this match specifically to nick aldis versus trevor murdoch from nwa 73 where aldis's 900 plus day historic reign came to an end thanks to someone who was a student and friend of Harley Race, a man who he emulates very heavily these days, Matt, is Trevor Murdoch. This is the classic blue robe. The special guest referee is Gene Kaninsky. And speaking of Canadian wrestling icons, Gene Kaninsky, holy smokes. This is the tough guy of all tough guys who's not named Stu Hart. The way to win this match, according to our commentators, is intensity and execution. And this, of course, is the culmination of the aforementioned bounty, which was actually for $25,000. And I don't even want to imagine how much that would be in today dollars, and I'm not about to do that math. Harley Race is targeting the head and neck of Ric Flair as that was the focus of the attack that almost retired Flair earlier in the year. 
They both hit pile drivers on each other. They whip each other into the cages. Flair, you know, he hits a pile driver of his own. A great belly to back suplex. Locks in the figure four. Harley Race rolls to the ropes. And I thought this was a steel cage match. After slamming Race down with that suplex, you know, where Flair here up, he got the figure four leg lock put in. Harley Race was able to evade it. And then he hit what I believe was his finisher, the top rope headbutt. And as Race was going for a headlock, Ric Flair sent Race's head into Gene Kaninsky. Flair then performed a flying cross body from the top turnbuckle to pin Harley Race and win the championship in a passing of the torch. As Harley Race was winding down his in-ring career, he would have a very brief run in the WWE later this decade as King Harley Race. But he stepped down into a managerial role, most notably with Big Van Vader in the 90s. And there's a, there was a great bit here where Harley Race was just continuing to stomp on Ric Flair past the count, but Kanitsky here grabs Harley by the fro and just whips him into the corner here, because Kaninsky, that was another old-timey wrestler you never, ever effed with. And Ric Flair cuts a gracious promo after this, thanking the fans, and again, this was just a passing of the torch. This is the new era of the NWA. We wouldn't see another closed circuit special event from the NWA until Starcade 84, the million dollar challenge. Again, in Greensboro, which featured Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes for the NWA championship with Smokin' Joe Fraser. As the special guest referee, we also saw in 84, because I'm not covering it, I want to go over this one because it is just absolutely crazy. We see Ivan and Nikita Koloff going up against Ole Anderson and Keith Larson with Don Cronoodle. The assassin, no, not assassin number one is in this. We see Jesse Barr and Mike Graham. And uh, Tully Blanchard and Ricky Steamboat having a television championship match so this is only the beginning for the wcw so the next time i have a retro review on this podcast is going to be chai town rumble 89 and that of course is rick flair versus ricky the dragon steamboat it might not be next week it might not be until 2022, but we're getting there. And these events are just crazy. Like this this one here was kind of a hard watch. As I said, it's a different style than I'm used to. But I came to appreciate it by the time we got to... Heck, by the time we got to the Briscoes versus Steamboat and Youngblood, that match was just absolute... Fire, it was great. 
And that will wrap up this show, folks. Thank you very much for listening. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Fretzelmania. That's F-R-E-T-Z-L-E Mania. Listen to all of us on Wrestle Attic Radio, The Cure for the Common Wrestling Podcast, The Kings of the Rings, who live stream every Wednesday night on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, wherever you can find it. Tune in to our live stream, our live chat. It's always a good time. Mr. YLP himself just did a return show, so you can hopefully expect a little bit more from the Stephen A. Smith of Wrestle Addict Radio. Follow us at Addict underscore Wrestle on Twitter, Wrestle Addict Radio on Instagram. Spread the word, tell everyone, tell your friends, tell their friends, and so on and so on and so on about Wrestle Addict Radio and to join our Patreon for only five bucks a month. You get some exclusive content. I'm going to hopefully get some stuff coming up for the holidays if I'm able to, no promises. And also our store on spring. Links are going to be in the description below. We will see you next time, folks, for Chi Town Rumble 89, Flare and Steamboat. Cheers. <laughs>